Amazing. Praise God. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Crosspoint Christian Church, and welcome to December. I'm fascinated by that. Oh, some of you guys like December. Not everyone. 2022 is almost gone, uh, and we're grateful that we're able to start this month here together. So I'm grateful for all of you here. I'll leave this here because I want to tell you about it for, for a while. But I want to say welcome. It's great to see everyone. For those of you joining us online, we're grateful that, uh, that you're part of our, our service. I know a lot of people are on vacation. A lot of people are sick. Uh, so we are some of the lucky ones that are not sick. And um, well, I don't know if we're lucky that we're not on vacation, right? That's kind of, they're the lucky one. No, I'm kidding. Um, we're glad to, to have you here. I'm excited this morning for this morning's message. I want to share some uh, announcements. I want to say that if you don't currently receive our newsletter, uh, that goes out every Saturday evening, and it's basically information about the church, what's going on, events that are going to be coming up. Uh, sometimes we highlight people or events or ministries, so I think you really want to uh, make sure that you receive that email. If you don't, you want to go to crosspointchristianchurch.com. That's our website. If you scroll all the way down, there's a really easy form to fill out. Uh, just your name, maybe phone number, email, and that's about it. Uh, and that allows us an opportunity to send you information from our, our communications department, for which I'm also very grateful. <clears throat> so let me mention a couple of things. I'll try to go quick. Um, as you walk in, you probably see a little Christmas decoration, some Christmas trees, and those trees have uh, some paper ornaments with things written on there. Those are items that we're looking for people to donate so that we can put these gift boxes together for Christmas, and we hope to be able to bless, I think we're shooting for 100, 100 kids uh, in our community or surrounding community um, on behalf of Crosspoint. So that's the idea there. You go, you take a look at those ornaments. If there's something there that you already have or you, you, you think you can purchase, just go ahead and take that. Talk to the person that's uh, manning that table, and they will uh, take care of you. And as we put everything together, we'll be able to put these 100 boxes together and bless uh, 100 children. Um, I'll also tell you about the blessing board. As you walk in on your right-hand side, there's a blessing board. I'm already hearing some great things I think more than anything, what I'm looking for is for that blessing board to change the culture in our church. And the way that the culture in our church is going to change is if we all change a little bit and becoming more giving and more compassionate and more thoughtful about people's needs around us. So um, I won't go into detail, but I'm hearing some great things. Um, if you have a need, let us know. We will put it up on the board. Uh, if you have something that you can bless other people with, um, let us know. We'll put that up on the board, and then, and then um, um, Alvia and Patrick are, are pretty much in charge of that, making sure that we connect the, the, the blessings with the needs, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I will also let you know that today, after the Spanish service around noon, we're going to be, there's a group of us, the youth and the young adults, that are going to be getting together. We're going to be putting some Christmas cards together. We're going to personalize them. We're going to Put an invite in there to then go out to the community, probably Uptown Whittier, and just pass out those uh, cards that will have a little, maybe a gift card and a, a personalized verse in there for them and an invitation to join us. So if you want to be part of that, um, you should have RSVP'd, but see Carmen if you have any questions, all right? Um, 
I will announce for the first time that on December 17th in the evening, we plan on having a young adults ministry Christmas party at my house. And so I want, I want you to pencil that in or uh, ink it in. That's, that's the plan, December 17th, young adults. We hope to have a great time just uh, celebrating Christmas, looking forward to it, as, and have the young adults give them an opportunity to celebrate that together. On the 28th, I'm sorry, on the 18th, this is a big one. On the 18th, we hope to have a Christmas service outdoors. So it's a week before Christmas Day. Uh, we'll have that outdoors. Unless that changes, we'll have a plan B. But uh, two years ago, we had something like that. It was really, I think, successful. A lot of people really enjoyed it. So we want to bring that back this year. We'll see how that goes. But um, great time to invite friends or relatives to an outdoor Christmas service on the 18th at 5 p.m. And then on the 25th, so I have a question for everyone. On the 25th, that's Christmas Day, and it's on a Sunday. Um, we want to have a combined service, but I know some of you might have a maybe Christmas, tr Christmas Day traditions with family and such. So we normally have our combined services at 10. What do you say we have it at 11? Give people an opportunity to have their Christmas tradition uh, with family and then still be able to make it to a combined service at 11 on Christmas Day. I'm seeing some. I'm seeing some clapping. I'm hearing some. Okay, I'm 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 hearing some clapping. I'm seeing some yeses. And so what we'll do is we'll we'll put it for 11. We've been announcing it at 10, but let's do it at 11. Now this is not for people that are going to be partying all night and then you get to hey, that's not what that is. All right, you'll be like I could party another hour the night before. That's not what that is for. But uh, we'll do our combined Christmas Day service at 11 a.m. and we'll see how that goes. Okay, we'll announce it. We'll send out. See, that's why we need your information. We'll, we'll announce it. We'll put it on next week's uh, um, bulletin or newsletter. We'll send out texts just to make sure that everybody's here at the right time on Christmas Day. All right, I think that's it for, uh, for announcements. Other than, as you see here this morning, we're super pleased anytime somebody decides to take this step of, of faith and step of obedience uh, to be baptized. So this morning, we, at the end of this service, will have a baptism. I'll tell you a little bit about Ashley. Ashley is uh, somebody that maybe some of you may not know, uh, but Ashley we've known for, for quite some time, mainly through our Monday night uh, open gym here at Crosspoint. Um, and then she's joined us at a young adults meeting and kind of got a chance to know her a little bit. Uh, very good volleyball player, but that's beside the point. That's beside the point. Uh, wonderful young lady that we get an opportunity to witness her step of obedience and public declaration of her faith and commitment to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So isn't that awesome? I say we give the Lord an applause. <laughs> Lastly, if it's your first time here, you should have one of these as you kind of signed in or we got a chance to just know that you were here for the first time. And for those of us that have already been here, if you see someone with a bag like this, that means there are special guests. Make sure you treat them extra nice and uh, introduce yourself and be uh, extra friendly. We want to have people feel welcome as they, as they join us. Very good. This morning, also, as you walked in, you should have grabbed one of these. If you want to take communion with us, if you do want to take communion and you didn't grab one of these, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have uh, one of our ushers swing by and give you one. Just raise it up nice and high and keep it up. Um, what I want to do is I want to share with you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look, let's take a look at this beautiful portion of Scripture. 
1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is Peter writing to, to believers that are been scattered for their faith. They're being persecuted. And he writes this letter to comfort them, to help them, to guide them. And this beautiful verse is one that I'm sure they would have found a lot of comfort in. You know, these Christians that were the recipients of this letter that were being persecuted for their faith. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, I love that phrase, abundant mercy, has begotten us again. That means he has allowed us to be born again to a living hope, that's us Christians always have a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, it's so important to know that our faith is based on facts. Our faith, our hope, our assurance is based on things that have happened, as well as things that are promised. And, and mainly here, he's highlighting the fact that all of this living hope, and we see God's abundant mercy, we see it through the death, burial, and here he says the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that actually is going to play into our, um, our message this morning entitled The Sign of Jonah. But as we gather, this is, and this is us gathering like this is always a special thing. And as you peel back the first layer, you take the bread, this is a symbol. This is a reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the eternal God, became flesh. He took on this human body in order that he would lay it up and give it as a sacrifice for our sins. And his death, burial, and his resurrection is what gives us this living hope. So let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you have the Jews that represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who was shed, which was shed on our behalf. This, is, this symbolizes, it reminds us of the very payment for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And it also says that we all know that we're all sinners and we deserve death, eternal separation, because the wages or the payment of sin is death. And that's why we needed someone to take our place. And the only one that could take our place was the only God in the flesh. And he shed his blood as a payment for our sin. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this morning for your many blessings, for your abundant mercy. Father, we will never fully comprehend what that means, but we rejoice in being able to be students of your word, disciples and followers of yours, Lord Jesus. And as we continue to grow, we, we grow in appreciation and understanding of what these things mean. 
So we, we celebrate and we recognize your love and your sacrifice in sending your only begotten Son to take our place at the cross. Lord Jesus, for making that sacrifice voluntarily out of love for us. We will never comprehend that, but we thank you for it. And Holy Spirit, for revealing that truth and allowing us to have the faith to believe and accept that. We praise you and we thank you now and forever. I thank you for everybody who's here, part of this morning service, here or online, or anyone who will be watching via recordings. We ask that you would teach us, guide us, transform us in a way that will bring honor and glory to your holy name. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. All right, beloved. This morning, we want to continue our messages out of Luke. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 36. Um, lots to say, but we're going to talk about the, the title of this morning's message is The Sign of Jonah. I don't know how familiar you are with Jonah. Most of us, if you grew up in church or if you've been at church, maybe even as a child perhaps, you were taught the story of Jonah. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, one who was to speak to the people on behalf of God. And he receives word from the Lord, and the Lord tells him, go and preach to this city, Nineveh, who were known as, as bad people. And Jonah, whose job description is to speak to people on behalf of God, says no to God. And he says, no, I don't want to go preach to them. And instead of going to Nineveh, he catches a boat to go the opposite way. And God, it's super interesting. I say all that because I would love for you to go and I think on your notes, on the handout, which I hope everybody has, but on the handout, it has a reference to the book of Jonah. If I'm not mistaken, it's four or five chapters long, so it's really easy to read. You'll see all the details of that story. But once on that boat, asleep on the bottom of the boat, heading the opposite way of where God had told him to go, in disobedience, uh, the people in the boat, through casting lots, figure out that the problem here, because a big storm arose, they, were, they thought they were going to all die, and, and they start you know, praying to their gods, and they, ask, they wake him up and tell him, hey, pray to your God, maybe he'll help us, and, and who are you? And he's like, well, I'm a prophet of the God of the universe. He's like, oh, so maybe it's you, and they cast lots, and they find out that Jonah is the problem, and he says, Where's, what are we supposed to do with you? Fascinating story, and Jonah says, you know what, just throw me overboard, because I know I'm the problem, and they throw him overboard, and then the Bible says that God raised up a large fish. The fish swallows Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and then is vomited out of that fish. And after Jonah goes through that experience, then he decides to obey the Lord and he goes to Nineveh. He preaches and all of Nineveh repents. And then there's some other funny stuff that happened in the story. But I say that because the title of this morning's message won't make a lot of sense if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah. And here the Lord Jesus brings up the story of Jonah. And he says, uh, he, he mentions it. And we're going to read it right now. The last thing I want to say about that as a form of introduction is, uh, I've spoken to people who, who are religious. And they say, I'll ask them, well, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? And they'll say, yeah. And 
so do you believe that what's in the Bible is true? They're like, well, well, most of it, some of it is allegory and there's stories, and of course there's some of that. And I remember talking to a cousin of mine a long time ago, and he said, like, that story about the fish, he goes, that's not really true. That's just a story that, that's in the Bible to teach us something. Well, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ uses it as a reference validates the fact that he believed it to be a factual event. So I just want to throw that out there. See, the Bible explains itself. And you want to be careful when you study the Bible that you pay attention to these things and you don't just, you know, believe what other people have said, including myself. I've told you that many times. You don't, you don't get a free pass. Well, Pastor Mike said it, so it must be true. That's not how it works. You have your own responsibility to know what you believe and to believe what you know based on your studying of Scripture, not also just based on your feelings. That's a very big problem that we got going on in our culture and our society right now. You know, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like believing that story. I don't, you know, that story feels to me like it wouldn't be true. Like, feelings are important, but when it comes to truth, truth doesn't care about your feelings. That's very important. So, the sign of Jonah. Let me read Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 36, and then we're really going to spend most of our time on, um, on the first couple of verses. So, let me go there and read that, and uh, feel free to follow along. It says, And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he, Jesus, began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented and the preaching of jo at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. I'm actually going to stop right there at verse 32. I'm, I'm going to stop there because I want to uh, leave the rest of the portion for, for next week instead. So, short reading, but here the Lord Jesus Christ is having an interaction. I want to talk about signs. I want to talk about signs. And um, so what's happening here is that the Lord is preaching. He's been doing all kinds of signs, all kinds of miracles. But one interesting thing that you'll find is that when people like this, especially Pharisees or religious leaders, would ask God for a sign, he wouldn't do it. And he was asked repeatedly on several different occasions. People would come to him and say, well, show us a sign. Do, Herod did the same thing. Show us a sign. Do something miraculous. Convince us. Entertain us. Show me. And whenever people challenged him like that, even though he could at the snap of his fingers do whatever he wanted, he refused every time. Now, I say that, and let me get to my first point, because the first point uh, well, let me tell you about the, the, the main point. The main point this morning is that God is glorified when Jesus, our Lord, is recognized as greater than all. And here in our reading, it made a reference to Solomon and to Jonah. And the Lord says, look, when Jonah went to the Ninevites, they repented. And because those people repented, 
they're going to be as witnesses to your condemnation. They're, they're, if they repented from his preaching, then you guys, the Lord would have said, since I'm right here and I'm greater than Jonah, you should repent. And then he brings out this uh, queen of the south, which you will find in 1 Kings chapter 10. Super interesting. If you want to make that, that note and then read it later, you have this queen of the south. Uh, it's very likely that this woman heard about Solomon's wisdom and, and splendor, and she wanted to see for herself. She traveled, most scholars believe, about 1,200 miles to come and talk to Solomon. She spends some time with Solomon. She asks all the tough questions that she could gather, and she is impressed by Solomon and gives glory to Solomon's God. And the Lord says, that woman is a testament and will be a witness to your condemnation. And he's talking to this evil generation that is seeking signs, even though they had seen and they had heard. Very, very interesting. Um, and yet, the Lord Jesus must be recognized as greater, not just than, than Solomon, not just greater than Jonah, but greater than all. That would be the main point. If we can leave today and realize that God is glorified when Jesus, our Lord, is recognized as greater than all, including greater than any sign that you have experienced or ask God to want to experience. You see, signs, signs are very interesting. Signs are important. And I'll say this, God has always worked through signs. And we're going to read some verses here. Last week we talked about how the universe declares the glory of God. The universe itself is a sign that God is out there. And he gives us plenty of signs, but it is when people in their unbelief reject what God has already revealed to them and they still want more. And they're asking it in unbelief when God says, if you're not responding to the light that I've already given you, I'm not going to give you any more light. Because it's not light that you need. It's not signs that you need. You need to bend your knee and recognize what it is that the signs are pointing towards. See, signs are not the real thing. Signs are always something that points to the real thing. You know, if you're driving down the freeway and you're looking for a hospital and you're not sure where it is. I'm talking about before GPS. I, I guess that doesn't really work with uh, GPS nowadays. But let's say you're driving down the hospital. You don't have service. And then on the side of the freeway, you say, it says hospital and it has an arrow. You don't stop at the sign. You follow the sign. The sign tells you you're on the right track, but you got to go that way or this way. And then you follow it to get to the real thing. A sign, beloved, is not where we want to place our trust in. We want to place our trust on the sign giver. But we'll talk about that. Okay, so point number one, let's get right to it. Point number one, we're going to look at people's desire for a sign. The people's desire for a sign. So here they are listening to Jesus. They've heard of all the things that he's done, and yet they still come to him and they ask for a sign, or they continually ask for more signs and more signs, and the Lord says, you perverse generation. And he's saying, you already have more than enough. You already have more information than enough. Uh, in Luke eleven sixteen, 16, which we read. Oh, sorry. So one, one thing that we read a couple of weeks ago in Luke eleven sixteen, 16, it says, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. We read that not that long ago. See how, and these were the religious leaders. They would ask for a sign, and the, the Lord would not give them 
a sign or any more signs. So Luke eleven twenty nine, which we did read right now, it says, While the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. So we'll develop that. All I want to mention in this first point is that is look at people's desire for a sign. And I want to say that, look, non-believers are always looking for signs. I mean, I am I, I'm taken back by the fact that, you know, we're always looking for signs. Are there aliens out there? I remember I used to do this, uh, this, this activity, first activity, I think, of the year with my science class because I wanted them to wonder about things and, and you know, before we started getting into all the curriculum. So I would give them a, an assignment in seventh grade where they would have to write about three things that they wonder about. I called it the I Wonder Project. And then they would have to make a display, write about each one thing, and then they would have to present it in front of the class. It was a really great activity. And almost always people had like the same things that they, that they wondered about. And one of them was, are there aliens out there? I know that's what you wonder about too. Are there aliens out there? Is there extraterrestrial life? Hey, you know the government in this world spends billions of dollars looking for what? For a sign, a sign. We have a little machine over at Mars right now, roaming around looking for what? For signs. And then it takes a picture of a weird-looking rock and like, look, there it is. Is this the sign of extra? Really? Why don't you just read the Bible? Read the Bible and stop spending all that, those billions of possibly, you know, of dollars. So we're looking for signs. The unbelieving world is looking for signs. So we're not going to talk about them. I want to talk about us. Do you look for signs? Are you looking for signs? Do you find yourself asking the Lord, well, Lord, if you do this, then, you know? Or, you know, I, w- I would give more to the church, but if, if the Lord gives me this, see, it's kind of tricky. If the Lord gives me this better job and this raise that I'm looking for, then I'm going to go ahead and give more to the church. I'll step it up to 3% of my income. That's a way that we're looking for signs. Like our response to God is based on what he, what we want him to reveal to us. And so what I'm saying, so lest I get into trouble here, I don't get in trouble, but so what's the deal with signs and Christians? Should we ask for signs? And I would say, look, signs can be dangerous, but God is also pleased in being signs and he knows our weak faith. It's not like he's going to get offended or like we're going to surprise. God's not going to be up to saying like, oh, I thought so-and-so was much further down the road in his faith than this. I can't believe he's asking me for a sign. God is gracious and he does whatever he wants. I'll say that. I will caution you as a Christian to be looking for signs and ignoring all the signs that he's already given you. I think that's where we get into trouble. So I would say that. I feel very comfortable saying that. As a Christian, be careful that you're not asking for signs while ignoring all the signs that are right under your nose. And when you look at a sign, you see right behind me? Slightly above? You need no other sign than that. That cross that is hanging there is a sign. You don't worship the cross, but every time you see that cross behind me hanging on that wall, it should remind you of something really, really important. The, the cross is not the important thing. It's he that hung on that cross that is important. And so then I would ask you, what other sign do you need? And if you're still thinking like, God, do you really love me? Well, then send me the right person. 
Like, what does that mean? You know what that means. But I would say you're, you're, in, you're in trouble. If you're, if you're still, you know, are you really out there? God demonstrates his love to us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A Christian needs no other sign than that sign of the cross. But God has given us tons of signs. And I, I, love, the, I love hearing your stories. And many of us, God did something special for us as we were coming to faith. And maybe we asked him something. And maybe it was something, even now you look back and, man, that was kind of ridiculous. Oh, maybe it was kind of dumb of me to ask for that. Wow, it was kind of whatever of me to ask that of God. And yet God did it for me. I believe God is gracious and abundant in mercy. And he'll do things for us. And I believe that when people like Gideon, for example, he asked for a sign because he was weak. And he had all kinds of issues. And so when God calls Gideon in the Old Testament as a judge... To, for Israel, he's afraid, and, he's, and he's, he genuinely asked for a sign, and God, almost comical, what God does for him. So God does do things like that, but it's because these are signs, I believe, that God does for us because of our weak faith. That was not the case with these Pharisees, is what I'm saying. These Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing. They heard what Jesus was saying. They couldn't refute and negate what he was saying. And yet, they hardened their heart, and then they still asked for signs. And the Lord said, I will give you no other sign. So God will give us signs if we need them. But as Christians, the Bible, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the history, the cross, creation, our new birth, all of those things are signs to let us know the reality of our faith. So if you are struggling with your faith, in a group like this and people are watching, I'm sure there's more than one of us that are maybe struggling with our faith. Seek him. But seek him. Don't seek a sign. You know what will happen? You'll, you will idolize the sign and ignore the sign giver. Seek him. And if he gives you any special sign for you, then praise God. But I'm telling you, you don't need any special signs other than all the signs that are in Scripture and that are obvious to us. What we need to do is we need to humble ourselves before him and recognize everything that he's done for us. You know, growing up in church, there's this, there's this danger. I grew up in church, and so I don't remember a time when I didn't believe that Jesus had died for my sins. And it wasn't until I was about 13, 8th grade, that I really understood, and I believe that was what, the, what, what it means that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. I mean, I knew I was a sinner very early on. But right around age 13, I realized that it was my sin for which Christ died on the cross. Somehow that connected from my brain to my heart. So we need to humble ourselves. We need to seek him. We need to be careful with signs. Uh, growing up in church, uh, I was saying then, I don't remember a time where I didn't believe in God. Um, but at the same time, you become so familiar with the scriptures. You become familiar with certain sayings. And you learn how to speak Christianese. And you learn how to behave like everybody else at church. And then it becomes a bit of a routine. I'm talking about possible dangers 
of growing up in church and becoming very familiar with Christian things. And, and if we're not being doers of the word, if we're not seeking to be transformed from the inside out, if we're not seeing evidences of a new birth, then that becomes dangerous. Where then everything that we know, we're so familiar with it that we don't appreciate it. We're not grateful for it, and we start looking for other things that maybe satisfy not our spirit, but our flesh and our emotions. we got to stay close to the Lord. we got to stay close to the cross, but being, come to him in sincerity. And even if you've known these truths for a long time, how much are they affecting your life? Are we living lives of integrity? That's what's important. If not, if you just become good at acting like a Christian then there's always going to be this void in your life. There's, you know, you may do certain things, nice things. Yeah, yeah, you have your Bible, you read it every once in a while, but that becomes old and unsatisfying. But when you're suffering from the Lord, when you're sacrificing for your brethren, when you're striving to get closer to the Lord and grow in knowledge in the Scripture, that's when your faith is real. It will never be boring It'll be more than satisfying, and you'll see continual fruit in your life. That's where you want to be. You won't be looking for signs because all the signs you need have already been there. But God is gracious, and he's patient, and he's, abound, he's abundant in mercy. So I don't want to, and I certainly don't want to negate any signs that God has done for you. Praise God. I'm glad he did that for you. And he's done stuff for me, and I'm sure he's done stuff for you. But don't look for the signs. Look for the sign giver or the sign maker. So people's desire for a sign. We see that here, both non-believers and even in believers. You don't want to fall into this superstition type of religion. I hear a lot of people, and when they talk and they claim to be Christians, it sounds a lot like they're just very superstitious. Very superstitious. You got to be careful with that. Christ is the substance of every sign, and a Christian doesn't need any more signs other than Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22-23, the Lord, uh, Paul says, For the Jew requests a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And that's awesome. You know, for, I'll say this, I'll try to say this quick, even, even for, uh, for Christians and Christian churches, if we're not careful, beloved, one way of looking for signs is what we look for in a church. I'm going to go to that church and I'll see. If the worship gets me all riled up, then I know the Spirit is there. It's not the Spirit, beloved. That's your emotions. You can listen to some rock and roll and you get the same experience. you got to be careful. What are you looking for when you come to church? And it's not, if it's not to hear, learn, and experience Christ and Him crucified, then you're looking for signs in a Christianese way. You're looking for signs. I'll leave it at that. Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But Paul says it's neither about signs. It's neither about wisdom. It's about Christ and him crucified and being a reality in my life and being identifying ourselves with his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which is what baptism is a picture of. Point number two, we, we saw people's desire for a sign. Point number two, Jesus' denouncement of the people. We see that the Lord is upset and speaks negatively about these people for seeking signs. 
And I'd say, I would say he would do the same thing for us if we are still, you know, professing to be Christians that we're still looking for signs because we're not quite convinced or everything that he's shown to us is not quite enough. You've got to be careful with that. So Jesus' denouncement of the people. He uses Solomon and, and the queen of the south as an example. He uses the Ninevites uh, and to see how they repented with, with the little bit that they got. You know, the Ninevites got preaching from this one guy who had an amazing story. And then this queen of the south travels 1,200 miles just to hear about the wisdom that God had given Solomon. And it, was, it seems to be enough for her. It was enough for the Ninevites. And the Lord is saying, I'm right here. I've done so many miracles. I fed 5,000 people. I raised people from the dead. And it's still not good enough for you? So he denounces the people for ignoring God who is with them. Show us signs, and he's right there. Why would you need signs when you have the real thing? Using that same hospital, you don't get to the hospital, and it's like, you know, the doctors are ready to receive you. It's like, yeah, but where's the sign? I'm like, what do you, where's the sign? This is the hospital. No, 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 I want to see some signs. Um, that, that would be ridiculous. Well, that's what was happening then. They had God in the flesh right in front of them, obvious to everyone, and yet they were still looking for signs. So Luke eleven twenty nine, the denouncement of the people. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks signs. So for them, seeking signs, instead of recognizing the real thing that was right in front of them, the Lord says, this is an evil generation. They care more about signs instead of recognizing the sign giver. I'll read John 6, 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. This is when Jesus, the people were trying to make him king by force. And he says, you don't want me to be your king because you saw my power, you recognize my deity, that I'm God in the flesh. You want to make me king by force because I fed you. You don't care about the signs. And the Lord came making signs and wonders. And he says, all of those things point to me. At times he would say, if you don't want to believe my words, then believe my signs. So the signs, God has always worked through signs, but the signs have always been in an effort to point back to him so that people would see the signs and they would look for the real thing, which was him. And he tells that crowd, he says, you seek me not because of the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled, meaning that's all you care about, being satisfied in your flesh. And beloved, we got to be careful with that. Make sure that we don't seek this prosperity gospel stuff where it's like you seek the Lord and God will give you everything you want and you'll have your best life right now. Like, no, it's not the way it works. So people's desire for a sign, Jesus' denouncement of the people for seeking the sign. And point number three, Jesus' declaration about the sign. And he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So I want to spend some time talking about Jonah. I know I mentioned him in the uh, introduction. Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. He, in disobedience, fled from doing what the Lord asked him to do, commanded him to do. He ends up in the belly of a fish. And the Lord uses that as an analogy to comparing himself when he's going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. And so Jonah becomes 
a symbol, an Old Testament symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ dying, being buried, and for three days being in the belly of the earth, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And three days later, Jonah got spit out of the whale or the big fish, and the Lord Jesus Christ resurrects from the dead. And the Lord said, no, he, tell, he told those people that we read, he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah, meaning not only was he there in the flesh as the real thing, but central to Christianity is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't overemphasize how important, how important the resurrection of our Lord is, that after three days of being in the grave, he came back to life. And he says, that will be your, your sign. The only other thing he says that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And there's a lot of things to compare with, but I believe the most important is the Lord is speaking in future tense, meaning his death, burial, and his resurrection. And ultimately, the question that people have to answer, and I believe will be judged by, is what did you do with the risen Savior? What did you do with the risen Savior? The fact that Jesus became a man, that he died for you, he was buried, and he rose again. What are you going to do with that? That is the sign. And any rejection of that results in a continual state of condemnation because the Bible explains that we're already under condemnation because we're sinful. It's only when we repent and accept Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross for our sins that we are no longer under condemnation, but we become justified. We are saved by grace through faith. In John, so Jesus' declaration about the sign, it says that no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And then in John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, there was something similar that occurred right at the beginning of the Lord's uh, ministry. And in John 2, 18 and 19 says that, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's kind of saying the same thing. The sign of Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale. And, and these people, when they say, What sign do you give us? And he says, Destroy this temple. And he was in the temple of Jerusalem. They got confused. They were thinking he was talking about this building that had taken many years to build, but he was talking about his body. He says, Destroy this body, this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Much like the sign of Jonah. And so the Lord, over and over, kept predicting his death, burial, and resurrection. And here he says, It is the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah, when Jonah came, you know, he preached eminent judgment to the Ninevites. And only by God's grace did they repent, and God withdrew his judgment from the Ninevites. For us, we're all under condemnation until God removes his wrath from us. How does God remove his perfect, just wrath from us? By pouring his wrath that we deserved, pouring his wrath upon his very own son at the cross. And the Lord at the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of Christ in him. 
Jesus took our place. On the third day he arose. That is the sign that we have. The sign of Jonah. Eminent judgment. Lest we repent and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And when that happens, you are giving a new life you are born again. You are made a new creation. You will know that you're no longer the same person. You begin to follow the Lord and you commit yourself to trusting him and to following him and to being obedient and making him the Lord of your life. It's no longer about you. It's about him. And you get baptized. You declare. When a person gets baptized, as we're going to do right now, they are declaring faith in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior, as the one who took their place at the cross. And so we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what this symbolizes and is a picture of. We do it out of obedience to the Lord. He said to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that he taught us. And so what an honor anytime anyone makes that commitment to follow the Lord and want to show it publicly, you know, to have a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we glorify God, we honor God, because ultimately we understand that it is Him who is doing the work in us. He begins the good work of faith in us, and He will complete it until the end of Jesus Christ. And I'll say that for the people that... Sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, I don't know if I'm ready. You know, what if I sin after? John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, because even as Christians, we will sin. If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's not, I don't want to get baptized because then I might sin. No, no, no. You are going to sin. We don't want to sin. We don't use it as an excuse. But you're not going to live a perfect life after you get baptized. But you get baptized as a declaration of your commitment. And because you're flawed, you're a flawed individual, nobody's expecting you to come out and live a perfect life. Our perfection is only found in Christ. Our righteousness is found in Christ. As Christians, we should be the most moral people, the most honest, the people of greatest integrity, that, because we want to be like Christ. And the Holy Spirit should be working that in us. But don't don't uh, stay away from getting baptized because you're afraid that you may not live up to God's standards. You know what God's standard is? Perfection. And only one is perfect. That is our Lord. And he, that is the life that he offered. His, he offered his perfect life for us. All we get to do is place our trust in Jesus. The substance of every sign that he's ever given. So, Ashley... I'm going to ask you to come up here. I'll meet you downstairs or down there. Pray for Ashley. Um, again, you probably don't know her very well. Some of us do. And um, it's, it's our honor to, to be part of your, your baptism. We have some uh, towels there. We're all ready to go. If you ever have a question about baptism, uh, you know, see me. Let's talk. Let's get into the Word.
And um, let me see. We need, we need a helper over here. Who's going to help us? Like maybe, all right, Debbie would be a good helper. All right, come on in. Come on in. The water's nice and warm, I think. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. And then we have some towels right there. We'll get those ready. I'll just ask you a question, Ashley. Let me see, and then we'll do, scroll over this way a little bit. Don't, don't throw me in there. I'll get your hand right here, and then I'll hold you from the back. Move forward. And then what you want to do, too, is you want, let's, let's have you sit with your feet forward. Yeah, and then have your feet forward. All right. And um, Ashley, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your only and sufficient Lord and Savior? You have, and so upon that confession, I, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Squall we down. Yeah. All right. Let's go this way. God bless you, Ashley. We're excited for you, and uh, let us know how we could be of service and help to you. I'm going to pray, and then our, our worship team is going to dismisses with the song. Heavenly Father, we're grateful again for all your blessings. We thank you for the opportunity to be part of Ashley's baptism. We pray for her. We thank you for her life, for the work that you're doing in her and through her. We pray that you would use her mightily, that you would protect her and bless her, Father. She would be a blessing to many as well. I thank you for everyone who's part of this service. We ask for your blessing as we dismiss. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Oh.
Missed.